And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Marielle Ford Clark. Marielle had a near-death experience where she was held in a sacred place of pure God consciousness, and now we're going to learn about it. Marielle, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome. Jeff, thank you for having me, and greetings from the western coast of Ireland. Well, it's a I'm, blessing to be here. <laughs> and what is so cool is that you are my first Irish guest, so that is awesome. Oh, am I blessed? Mm-hmm. Let, let me make it worthwhile then, <laughs> and rememberable. <laughs> well, I'm sure it will be. So my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, and if you don't mind, can we start on the day that yours happened? Absolutely. For me, um, I had been diagnosed with uh, cervical cancer and my surgery was scheduled. And like every other surgery, you sign your forms and I ended up down in theater. And apparently um, at that time, I had a very, uh, shall I say, I had a very dysfunctional relationship so uh, being told I had cancer didn't really knock a stir out of me. I felt this is great. This is going to be a release for me. I don't have to pretend or live a lie anymore because in Ireland at that time, it, w- it was very hard. We didn't have divorce. Uh, we just had about separation. So the old thinking was you made your bed and you lay on it. So that made separation even more difficult for anybody. You know, you, you just what went on behind closed doors was of no concern. Didn't matter mentally, emotionally, physically or spiritually. You just got on with your life. So when I had been diagnosed um, with with cervical cancer and very extent, uh, extensive, I believe, um, it didn't bother me. I just I just wanted a release from it all. So going down to theater and I remember, you know, sending my angels and guides before me to clear the pathway. And to just, you know, uh, using the violet flame as well, just to cleanse and clear the space so that everything would be fine for me. But um, during the surgery, uh, I started to bleed outward. And no matter how much blood infusions I was given, it still came out. So I was I was pronounced dead. But I remember rising up out of my body and I remember looking at myself on the bed and I remember just going hugely into this it was like a whirlpool of pure pure love and light there was just calm there was peace there was serenity I had no pain I had no anxiety I had no worries everything was just bliss everything was peaceful and I remember just hearing this beautiful music, soulful music, I understand it now, and it was so precious, and it had a calming effect on me. It was like soothing me. I was like a baby being rocked in divine arms, and it was absolutely, I will never forget it, because the essence of it and the energy of it still remains in me and with me, and it has even grown since 1992 but when uh, and I remember very very clearly it was like everything 
was beautiful. Everything was like in a kaleidoscope of color. It was magic. It was just heaven, I suppose, for the want of a better word, a heaven. And it was just, it was the beauty of this piece that held me so sacred. And I knew I was being minded. I knew I was being nurtured. And I knew I was being infused with, for me now, it was God's love and God's light. And it was, I'm not quite sure how long I was suspended and pronounced dead. But when I was eventually, I don't recall coming back into my body. I just remember them saying, we've her back. She's back. She's back. Right. And it was a few days later that the surgeon came and told me that I was a very, very lucky girl because he said, uh, you were gone. You were totally dead on us. And he said, but somebody in a higher power must have been minding you. So my quest then into this near-death experience, why did I live? Why why did I live and others don't? But there is huge commonalities. I didn't go through the tunnel. I, I was just like catapulted out of my body and I was hovering over my body. And then it was like I was sucked into this vacuum. And like uh, I keep seeing it as like a whirlpool of all color and being sucked and drawn into the center of that. It was nearly like a nucleus of a cell. I was brought into the God center, the epicenter of divine love. And it felt so just incredible. But that remained with me. And it was so profound for me. And then I realized, you know, near-death experiencers like myself, it, it is like while there are so many commonalities, you know, like seeing yourself floating above your body, watching the, the medics perform on you, trying to get you back, trying to resus, you know, being drawn into a tunnel. I didn't go through the tunnel. I was catapulted into this, as I call it, a whirlpool. And... Um, you know, I was very, I was very at home there. And when I, I was very disappointed when I opened my eyes and realized I, I was still alive mm. because I didn't want to be back here on Mother Earth. And one of the things, Jeff, that I did see while I was in this whirlpool and hearing this beautiful music, a hand presented itself through the ethers in this vortex that I was in. And it was that hand. It was like, stop sign, stop. I didn't have a life review then because many that go through many near-death experiencers, they, they have a life review. The whole life flashes before their eyes. They're shown the errors of their ways, why they need to come back, the choice maybe if they want to go back and correct the wrongs of their past. Or, you know, maybe it's time, you know, that you need to stay here. But for me, the hand said it all. The hand came out. It was a hand that stopped me from going any further. And obviously, that's when I re-entered my body. You know, that hand stopped me. So um, my journey into near-death experiences and afterlife phenomena was very much pushed forward then because I have a science background. I qualified in in science as a serologist many, many years ago. So I would have a, what would I say, a very skeptical outlook on, 
you know, things that I can't see, things that can't be measured. Analysis was was always my fact finders, you know, data. So here I am faced with something that a phenomena that I'm not really able to explain that I was on the other side. That a hand did come out. I, I felt a God presence. There was a God consciousness. And here I am, you know, trying to analyze my experience with a kind of uh, a scientific mind. And it doesn't work that way. It definitely didn't work that way for me. So my quest then from my near-death experience really brought me on a fabulous journey. It brought me on a journey into um, leaning uh, data and knowledge from going back to Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. And, and my favorite was um, Dr. Emmanuel Swedenborg, who in the seven, 1700s, he started to converse with angels and guides and all of these amazing people that had died. But he was shown the afterlife. He was brought into the d- different dimensions and the different spheres within the afterlife because we don't all go to the same level. Um, you know, we, we all gravitate towards the level of our awareness that we have in this life. So when whatever level of awareness spiritually and consciously we have in this life, that's the level we will graduate to. But we have the opportunity under the law of progress to progress along our our soul path while we're there. So uh, I suppose for me, I've had uh, an immense, beautiful journey. I've met and studied under wonderful people like Deepak Chopra. Uh, I've studied with uh, the doc- wonderful Dr. Brian Wes, who, st- who wrote on reincarnation. And uh, I met uh, beautiful Wayne Dyer. So my journey has been very, uh, shall I say, fruitful. But I have to say then, um, I have to say, uh, Jeff, that while after my near-death experience, sorry, after my near-death experience, it took me a year to start my healing journey. But in that year, within three months of my near-death experience, my life had took a nosedive for the worst. Even though I had had this beautiful, phenomenal uh, incredible spiritual heavenly experience my life my physical life hadn't changed so I I just needed to end it for once and for all I just needed to exit this life so at about two o'clock in the morning I decided I was going to end my life and I just wanted to get rid of the pain I could no longer and bless my ex-husband, who has been my greatest teacher here on Mother Earth, my absolute greatest teacher. Because through him, I later discovered the power of love, the power of forgiveness. So, um, but he had bought a new car two or three days previous. And he dangled the keys in front of me and he said, you'll never put your backside in that new car. And I went, mm-hmm. by the time I'm finished, it was a, a revengeful suicide, seriously. You know, it wasn't, I, I was, I was said, well, by God, by the time you're, I'm finished with this car tonight, you won't sit in it either. So it was an act of revenge, which is not good now, spiritually, when I've been told by my guides, the consequences of a revengeful uh, death. But um, so there was a Docklands in, in our city and they had no protective barriers. So my idea was it, it has to be easy. 
if I put my go around the bend under the bridge, put my foot in the accelerator, close my eyes and just put my foot in and just close my eyes and go straight in. And my pain is over. But just as I was about to go out my front door, my father's face and his hand, this same hand that I had seen three or four months previous in my near-death experience, that's the hand. And he said, stop, Molly. He had a pet name for all of his kids. And his name for me was Molly. So he says, Molly Akujin. And Akujin is an Irish word for darling or dearie or sweetie. Keep your powder dry. So, Jeff, my, me keeping my powder dry means three, at least three hours later, I'm sitting in the sitting room on the couch and I am shaking. I am blue with cold. My teeth are nappy. My hands are shaking. And I realize I'm looking at a clock on the mantelpiece and it's about 10 past five, 10 past five. So I have no recollection of what happened from two o'clock to 10 past five. I have no recall of it. I have had a lot of past life regression to try and recall it. But I've since been told by my spirit guides that they were having me in this holding space, which was to repair my soul trauma. So that was that the repairing my soul trauma. But so the next day, Jeff, I went to a solicitor and the rest is history. So my complete journey of healing only began then when I took my own power back, you know. So uh, having the near-death experience with the hand appearing out through the, the this beautiful light and then the same hand appearing to me when I was going to end it. I know now it was my father, that it wasn't my time, if that makes sense. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I first want to take you back to your NDE. When you first exited your body, did you realize that you were dead or what was going on in your mind at that time? I had no idea that I was dead because I was still looking down at myself. I was still looking down at myself. And but the feeling of being free and light up above my body was just incredible. It was like, wow. I don't feel pain anymore. I don't feel sad anymore. I don't feel I, I I felt as if I I was in love with myself again. For the first time ever, I was in love with me. I loved me because I had fallen out of love with myself for many years because of the traumas that I was going through on this earth plane. And it was I found it very hard to love myself because I felt, well, if my husband at that time can't love me well then sure I'm unlovable so feeling this love it was so liberating it was so pure and it was like I had fallen back in love with me with Marielle with the person that I am and that I'm a good person and to see these people working on me and all the the panic that was going on but it didn't faze me I knew I was in this lovely space and I wanted to stay there. I really wanted to stay there. I didn't want to leave. Was it the type of love that you'd been yearning for all your life? 
No, Jeff, because I was reared in a family where there was so much love and there was music and there was, as they say in Irish, re-raw, August rulia bulia. There was always, there was music in our house. My father, even though he was an engineer, but he, um, he used to play the accordion and the mouth organ and the tin whistle was always in his breast pocket. So we were always into, so we were reared with such music and it was, um, so the love was always there. He used to call my mother Cinderella and he had a pet name, as I said earlier, for all of us. And he loved his daughters, not saying he didn't love his, his sons, his, his three sons, but he loved his daughters and in a very gentleman way. My father was six foot four and he was just a beautiful, gentle soul. And I suppose for me, Jeff, I'm knowing love. I was reared, you say, I was educated by nuns. So they, they did it now. No disrespect to the nuns and the religious orders for the great work they have done around the world in education and in medicine and in, uh, you know, orphanages and things like that. But the nuns that I was educated by, any little bit of self-confidence or self-worth that I had, it was knocked out of me, you know. And even when I would, when they'd be talking in our religious class about God being punishing and God was going to, you were going to burn in hell if you told a lie. Mm. So all of these kind of condemnations of God that was, to me, was loving. And I'd contradict and I'd say, no, no, sister, I don't agree with you there. And they say, what do you mean? And I say, no, God is not punishing. The one I know is not punishing. So I would end up, Jeff, behind the blackboard with a dunce's hat in my head for the rest of the day. Now, I was quite happy there. I had my own little thing going on behind the blackboard. So I did. I I felt that the the confidence and the self-worth and self-esteem was always kind of being knocked, not by my family, but by my educators. So I when I when I came to, say, 12 and 13, when I was going into a higher school, I, I lacked the confidence in knowing that I was able to speak in public in, in the debating teams. I would always second guess myself when it would come to exams. I knew I would know the, say, the stop, but I would never have the say, well, I'm absolutely amazing. I can do this, you know. So and then at 16, 15 and 16, I had an amazing experience. My first spiritual experience with Mother Mary who has continued to be my guide ever since. And Mother Mary, uh, we had what they call, you may, it may not know, kind of like an old monastery at the side of our school. And every morning of my life, because I was terrified of one teacher, and um, I used to pray that she wouldn't touch me or beat us. We got an awful hard time going to school. So... Uh, one of these mornings I was in the grotto. It was like a built underground with all these beautiful rocks. And there was a beautiful statuette of Mother Mary. And there was always a place you could light your candles, make your request or your petition or your intention for the day. And um, it was just one of those mornings. And I just looked up and the cement statue in front of it was the real Mother Mary. And I will never forget the vision. I will never forget her face. I will never forget the way it, 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 she smiled and it went from left to right. And she smiled and I ran. 
I ran out of the place, left my school bag, my lunch bag, everything after me. And I asked one of the guys that was coming into the church, I said, would you ever go in and get me my school bag and my lunch? And when he came out, I said, did you see anything? Is there anything going on in there? No, no, no. He says, not a thing, not a thing. Right? So I never told anybody, Jeff, about that for over 20 years for fear they would have said I was losing it. And as a consequence then, you know, I always had this. My grandmother was very psychic, Jeff. My grandmother was very psychic. My uncle, which is unheard of now, was a seventh son of a seventh son. So he came in with huge psychic abilities. My brother was extremely psychic and uh, he was my youngest brother. And he was able to tell me three weeks before he died that something was going to happen that was going to change the dynamics of our family. So his he was so psychic that my, my brothers used to call him Mystic Meg. And they wouldn't even go for a drink with him because he'd always pick up on somebody's energy or he'd have a message that he'd have to deliver. So it didn't surprise me that I came in with... Um, I was the only one that was in tune with my psychic gifts and they never bothered me. They were there. I used to see light. I used to communicate with angels. And and then when I had the experience with Mother Mary, I felt it was a great blessing. But and then I said, maybe I'm supposed to become a nun. So I researched becoming a nursing sister in in Glasgow, in Scotland. And um, I did a special novena to Mother Mary for 30 days to guide me. And by the time I had the 30-day prayer done, it was, um, no, you're not to be a nun. That's it. End of story. So I went on then and I studied science and became a serologist. And I put it all, put everything of my psychic abilities to one side, even though I was always very much involved in reading, you know, about the afterlife and about the journey of the soul and lessons that we need to master in this lifetime, you know, through people. And uh, it was only then when I had my near-death experience that it opened up a profound arena for me to go on a different path completely. I completely did a 360-degree turn, completely. And um, I left a very secure job, uh, one that had bonuses twice a year, company car, phone, you name it. I walked away from it all after my brother died and I did not know where I was going to start making a cross to keep the roof over my head. And I was just told by my guides that I needed to trust that they would open the pathways and the doorways for me, but I needed to trust, you know. So that was a big thing for me, Jeff, to trust that all of this would open up a whole new vista so that I suppose from there on, then I started doing like um, really delving into um, like crystal healing, um, IET, which is integrative energy therapy. I became a master teacher of that as well. Reiki, shamanism, you know, everything. I just felt I needed to know about everything so that I could form a balanced opinion. Left brain, right brain, or is it all in my mind? So it was very... Um, it was very important to me that I was able to discern for me because I was a skeptic. Even though I had my spiritual experiences happening all the time, I needed to be able to evaluate what was real and what was not. And is there an afterlife? Is there 
Is there a huge richness out there beyond the five senses? And yes, I can categorically say now, there is so much we have yet as human beings to understand. So much more beyond the five senses. It sounds like when you say guide, you're saying guides as in plural. But I'm a little confused. Is Mother Mary your guide or do you have different guides? I have many different guides. One, Mother Mary is, would be my ascended master that came in uh, when I was 15, but only became activated and anchored within me when I started healing, when I started my healing modalities like Reiki and like uh, IET, right? She, you know, it's not me when I'm doing the healing. When I'm, when I'm channeling healing, it's her energy that's working through me, not mine. This is a, it's an energy beyond me. It's a universal healing. My other guides, I have two other incredible guides, and one of them is Adama. And he is one, he's one of the guides that come, that came in from the ancient civilization of Atlantis and Lemuria when, when uh, those two lost continents. And uh, when I was in Mount Shasta, um, I think it was about 2006. Master Adama came in during meditation. I was in this beautiful sacred place in Mount Shasta. And I went there with the intention of experiencing the portal of Archangel Gabriel, because one of his ascension chambers is there in Mount Shasta. And uh, had this incredible experience where Adama, my spirit guide, uh, said that he would be working with me in the not-too-distant future. Now, I wasn't sure whether I heard this right, but the lady that was doing the reading the following day, she had a tape recorder running, and she heard the exact same thing that I heard, that Adama was presenting himself to me, and very soon he'd be working through me. So he has remained an incredible um, ambassador to my spiritual path. And I have another, she is, uh, she's an archangel. She's called Galianiel. I know it's a big mouthful. And uh, she has come in in the last five years. And she guides me on the path of, if I have questions about, say, like the afterlife, if I have questions about somebody that may have ended their life through suicide, if I have questions about any particular thing, I ask her, and I get the information for whoever I'm giving the information to. It's never information for myself. The information that was gleaned uh, for the book, for where after, came from my guides and has come from research over 30 plus years. So I have different guides, but our guides come in at different stages according to as we grow and evolve, Jeff, on our life path. And as we become more spiritually awakened, rather than more materialistically awakened. We we are given guides to show us. It's like after my near-death experience, I started to see angels. I started to um, learn about spirit guides. And one of the other guides that has come in is uh, St. Germain of the Violet Flame. And he has always been working with me. And um, he was another one that came in after I was in Mount Shasta in California. So I have many guides and different ones. I'm expecting a new one to come in now by the end of next year. I've been told a new one is coming. I don't know who it is because my path, 
my soul will have opened up to more opportunities for my soul learning. All right. Your book is called Where After? Where do our loved ones go after they die? Asking a Mm -hmm. question. So let me turn the question to you. Where do they go after they die? (laughs) I love it, Jeff. I love it. I love it. Well, where do I, and you, and you see, Jeff, this is the whole thing. The fact that I worked with people, so many people and ran so many courses and classes and teaching people how to connect with their loved ones. The, the fear of death is paralyzing so many people. And it's the fear of the unknown. And what we don't realize as we are souls, we are spirit beings occupying a human body. We have already, we're only coming on earth uh, to occupy a vehicle. It's like buying, going into your garage and buying a car. The car is not you, but you are, say, the, the, the driver. You're going to be driving this car around. So we, when we come on earth as a soul, the soul occupies this human vessel. The human body is the vessel that carries us around until its term of office is complete. So when life, be it a season, a reason or a lifetime, be it short or brief, no one ever exits without it being their time. And I know that's very hard also for somebody that may have lost a child or for somebody who may have miscarried or for someone who may have lost uh, somebody very young. Nobody, nobody leaves this world before their time. We have already signed our sacred contract before we come on earth. We have sat around our council of guides and and, and, uh, spirit beings, and they have agreed with us. We have not signed in anything to that contract that we didn't understand. Maybe it's on complete business from a previous lifetime. Maybe it's to learn forgiveness. Maybe it's to learn how to love more. Maybe it's to learn how to be, uh, you know, of service rather than taking everything from a previous lifetime that we may have done. So when we, when we leave this life, it's always the right time. The soul chooses its timing. Soul chooses its going. And so when we cross over, what actually happens, I've been very blessed, Jeff, to sit at the bedside of many people, young and old, who are about to make that transition to the other side. I'm, I'm called in as a spirit midwife. And that means it's like um, I help recoil the chakra system. The chakras are the meridians that, that are like the engine centers of our body. And through a very sacred and, and beautiful, blessed process, I recoil the chakras. Well, I'm guided how to do it all the time. No two are the exact same. And when, when the person is ready, have you heard of the silver cord? Yes. Right? So... Some people don't realize that there is a, we have a lifeline while we're here on earth. We have a lifeline called the silver cord. This silver cord is like the the umbilical cord that's within the mother's womb that nourishes the baby for the nine months while it's there in vitro, while it's being fed and nourished and growing. So when baby is born, the umbilical cord is cut. Mother is separate from baby and baby is separate from mother. Their life becomes independent. So the silver cord, when when we are about to make that transition, the silver cord, it can extend, it's limitless. That's why when we have a near-death experience, 
the silver cord is never, never cut. It's never disengaged. And that's why when we have outer body experiences, the silver cord brings us out into the astral planes while we're having outer body experiences. And it keeps us connected to the physical plane, but it also keeps us connected to the heavenly plane. So when we're about to transition, as I call it, or when we're about to leave this world, the silver cord disengages, it stretches, it gets very, very thin. And there is a point where it snaps. And that's the point of no return. That's where you are truly, truly physically, in the main sense of the word, dead. Whereas when we're having the near-death experience, the cord snaps us back into the physical body. So that's the difference between the near-death experience and the actual, when the point of no return comes with the silver cord, it snaps. And the person transitions to the other side. So when they're going to the other side, then uh, when you're really, really uh, on the other side, there we have what is called, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, Jeff, the light review. And the light review is like a, a movie of our lives. All the, our words, it's hard to believe it, but I've been shown this as well by my guides. All our words, all our actions, all everything we have ever done, good and bad, is, is going to be weighed up. It's like a ledger, the balance sheet of our lives. Where did we show love? Where did we show kindness? Where were we dreadful? Where we bullied people? Where we intimidated people? Where we were not nice? So, and the funny part about it from what people don't understand, it's not a God that judges you on your behavior, your actions. You're shown your life review and it's you yourself that judges you, not a God not a, a spirit guide, not a presence. It's you, and then you're you're shown. Okay, how did I how did I accumulate such karma? And karma is another thing. Karma is, um, as I always say, karma is a bitch. It comes back and it bites you on the ass because we what we give out in life, we we do reap it tenfold. So it's always, and that's the message that comes in very very strong from the other side. It's the amount of love we show. It's nothing got to do with our how many holidays we have a year. Nothing got to do with the car we have in our driveway. It's nothing got to do with our bank balance. Absolutely none of that matters. When we cross over to the other side and we're shown our life review, it's how we made somebody else feel good in life or the, the opposite, how we didn't make them feel good and what we could have done. So when we have this life review, that's an awful lot of the time. Some people that a lot of people with near death experiences, they see, oh, my God, I was horrible there. I was so cruel. I, you know, I, I wasn't nice. I, I intimidated. I bullied. Money was my God. And then with the near death experience, they are given the choice to come back or else they're told it's not your time. So but the life review then for somebody that has actually made the transition to the other side and the cord, silver cord disengaged, they are showing the opportunities then. They are given opportunities. There are schoolings on the inner planes. There are halls of learning. There is temples of healing. There's temples of sound. All of those beautiful places are made available to the soul that is about to transition. Now, in saying that, I'm very reminded to say to you, Jeff, that sometimes when, when a person leaves the body 
and it is like unex- it's unexpected. Say like um, a car accident, say like a drowning, say like a tsunami, say like bless the 9-11 that's just after having the 20th anniversary and bless all those souls who agreed to be part of that collective consciousness and collective um, uh, healing for the earth. Because we've all, every single human sentient being has learned something from that 9-11 and bless all those that are suffering the aftermath still. But, you know, when somebody leaves the body very quickly like that, um, the soul is catapulted out of the body so that it doesn't feel trauma. Uh, I had a lady that came, her husband was a fire, uh, he worked in the fire department and he got trapped in a fire and uh, his friends could not get to him. And there was a big gas explosion. And uh, she, um, all that ever bothered her for months and months was, did he feel, was he being burnt? Was he being burnt alive? Was he, you know, uh, he did he feel so much pain? So we did a beautiful meditation together where I was guided to um, bring her to her husband in the spirit world. And uh, he told her that when the fire started and, and the explosion happened, that he he felt he left his body and his he felt his soul like a light, left his body like a star, he said, leaving his body, and that he was there. He saw his he looked back and he saw his body burning, but he didn't feel it. So it is very reassuring for some of us that have lost loved ones tragically to know that the soul is catapulted. It's taken from the body at the point of impact so that they, the body, the physical body doesn't feel the pain or the trauma of what's about to happen, which is reassuring. Yeah, I tend to agree with you because from what I can remember, maybe every one of my NDE guests that had a traumatic um, way of almost dying Usually they didn't experience it. They popped out of their body just before it happened, like being hit by a car or mm. or something like that. Yeah, and and that's that's reassurance has also come from my guides, and it's it has come from um, clients of mine who is whose son or whose husband or whose brother or has has transitioned tragically. They didn't feel anything uh, through car accident or firing or burning, you know. So that's that gives comfort as well to the the family that are grieving or to those that have lost a loved one in such circumstances. Why do you think we come here in the first place? Do you know, Jeff, I've asked my guys that many times and I've asked myself, how many more times do I have to come around here to get it right? It's... From what I understand from the spirit world, we come here time and time again until we reach that state of almost God perfection, where our souls have mastered all the lessons, where we are a non-judgmental presence in our dealings with others. There is no consequences to actions that we have done because we're everything we do, we're doing it from a place of grace from a place of virtue, from a place of unconditional love. But sadly, a lot of us, we hold on to anger. We hold on to grudges. 
We, we want to get even with somebody. We want to punish people because they did this and he did this and she did that. So we have this kind of uh, mentality of wanting to punish and you have to pay. You must pay. So with that type of uh, an unawakened conscious, it's not going to serve us well because when we cross over to the other side, we are shown how we can do better. So that's why when we have enough tools behind us in the spirit world, then we agree that predominantly we agree to come back to right the wrongs. Like for me in this lifetime, it was very important for me that I come back to learn the power of forgiveness and the power of beginning to love myself. Because forgiveness was one of the huge lessons I needed to learn in this lifetime by being able not alone to forgive my ex-husband, but to be able to forgive myself. And now I find it when some things go wrong with people as they do because we're a part of the human frailty, when things go wrong, I don't hold on to grudges. I'm able to say, bless you in love and light. That's your stuff, not mine. And I'll bless them. I might even light a candle for them and, and let it go. But it's when we hold on to stuff, that's the stuff that festers. And that's not serving our soul. That's not going to nourish our soul to grow more spiritually towards a greater God perfection. So that's why I feel we come around again. It's because we haven't mastered the lesson. And it could be as simple, possibly, Jeff, as being, being a pauper in our last life and being rich in this life and being able to manage it but do good with that richness. Can you explain to us what the soul journey is and soul fragmentation and soul loss? The soul has been much topic for debate, uh, Jeff, going back thousands and thousands of years. The soul has been discussed by Aristotle, by Plato, by you name it, many of the wise, wise people. And the common denominator what I've discovered between Plato, Aristotle and Swedenborg and Descartes, even in more recent times, that they all agreed, every single one of them agreed that the soul was that most divine part of us, of the human psychic, and that the soul was a consciousness. And many of the doctors, going back, going back to Dr. Pim van Lommel, who is the Dutch cardiologist, he has done huge research because of his clients, patients having near-death experiences. And he believes with all and has endorsed it and has written many papers on it, that the soul survives beyond the brain and beyond the physical body, that it is a consciousness. The soul is that part of us that never dies. That's why we are immortal. We are eternal beings. That's where that phrase comes in. And the soul for the, the soul is is our driving machine. The soul is is and then people say, Where is the soul in the body? Where is the soul? The soul is everywhere and it's nowhere. That's what my guides have told me. It's everywhere and it's nowhere. It it drives the mind and our emotions. It drives our heart towards love and unconditional love. It it drives the body to do good things, but also bad things so the soul is uh, everywhere and nowhere that's how it has been described but without the soul we are empty vessels 
And that's why when we transition to the other side, it's our soul that leaves the body. It's not us. It's not this big human part of us. The the, the bones are, is returned to the earth or returned into the fire, wherever the choice is. But the soul, when it returns to that place of God's light, the soul then gets to choose. Does it return? Does it reincarnate again with another purpose, with another agenda? You know, so the soul is, it's very multifaceted, very complex, but yet very simple when, when you understand that it is that a huge part of us that is eternal and it never dies. Can you give us some examples of heavenly signs that our deceased loved ones are trying to contact us? Our loved ones are always, when they get to the other side, Jeff, they are very anxious to let us know they've arrived okay. And sometimes they will say they loved a certain piece of music and that piece of music could all of a sudden start playing. They might say they loved, uh, say, whatever, like uh, Amazing Grace and, and say that the song Amazing Grace appears across the the airways for no apparent reason. They feather some people associate with a sign. I, I often find it's predominantly music. It's a book that may fall off a shelf for no apparent reason. Sometimes they could visit us during dream, uh, dreams when we're asleep at night. It's much easier for the soul to, to levitate down and to meet the physical body because of the person that they're trying to contact. Because when we are in that dream or sleep state, the ego is put to rest because the ego blocks a lot of our communication with the spirit world. The ego has its own little agenda going on. So it is so important that we, when if we have had a visit from a loved one, it's so important to understand that this loved one is trying to get through to us. And as I said, it can be, it can be music. It can even be a, a smell, a scent of an aftershave that they wore. It can be a perfume that they wore. It can be a, a butterfly. It can be a bird. And, uh, you know, there are many signs, but also if, if the person that's grieving is too traumatized, that being too traumatized means that the, the soul in on the spirit world cannot get through because the, the heart is too hardened. They can't get through. And sorry, Jeff, you asked me there a moment ago and I didn't answer about soul fragmentation. Mm -hmm. What actually happens can happen with soul fragmentation. If you have had a trauma, I've had many clients that they've come to me and I can see their soul is fragmented and it can all, always be traced back to a trauma, maybe a childhood trauma, maybe an event, even sometimes surgery can fragment the soul if it's very extensive surgery. So I think it's, and I don't want to alarm anyone, but for anyone that's listening that's ever going to have surgery or, or a day procedure, Always send your angels and your guides before you to clear the space. Always send you know, put place an armor of protection around you so that your body is held safe and sacred. And also place it on the surgeons and all the people in attending to you on that day so that everything is held safe and clean. Because sometimes the soul can fragment if there is too much going on 
with an inc incisions on the body. And sometimes it is so important just to be there beforehand to just check it out, check the place out. I, you don't have to do it physically, but you can do it mentally. Be in the operating theatre, be in the pre-op room, be, uh, be in the post-op. Just send this light because it does help. So the soul... Uh, Soul fragmentation can happen through different different things, like, as I said, through trauma, uh, abuse, sexual or otherwise. It can also happen through um, if you have over abuse of alcohol or drugs, even people that are oversexed, believe it or not, that can cause a soul intrusion or a, a soul fragmentation. There are so many different aspects to it. And, and uh I suppose, too numerous to go into each of them in, in detail this evening. Your NDE happened about 30 years ago, correct? Oh, Was it? Is yes. That, is yes. 1992, yes. All right. Uh, sorry, to, sorry to drop that. Really telling my age now. Sorry to drop the age bomb on you there. But, yeah, um, great. <laughs> how have you changed now over those years? You know, Jeff, it, it's, it's, I suppose, it's not one particular change. It, for a long, long time, um, I never, I, while I wrote down my near-death experience, I never shared it. I never, I wrote down exactly what had happened, what I, re, what I had vivid recall of. I suppose, and especially then months later when I tried to end my life and be given the gift of life again, I realized that there had to be a purpose, a reason. Here I am again, that I was saved again by this, hand that came out and said you know stop keep your powder dry so that's when I changed my direction in my career I just realized and especially after my brother died I I just felt I couldn't I can't do this I can't do this work anymore it wasn't sustaining me it wasn't filling me so my my thirst for all things spiritual started to really, really grow within me. And I mushroomed, I blossomed into, you know, something that somebody that was always, while I was great for debating and uh, at school, I began to, all the healing modalities that I was studying, I began to realize I know this stuff. I'm, I'm good at this. I, this just didn't happen in this lifetime. It was like I had an innate knowing I know this stuff, but I became very humble behind. I didn't have to prove anything to anybody anymore. Like where I was in, when I was in my academic head, it was like I was always trying to prove myself. I had to, I, I, if I did one degree, I had to do another. Then I did a master's degree and I did, you know, I had to do, I was always competing with myself. I was never happy with myself. So since my near-death experience, I've become very contented in, a, in a, a God presence that I don't have to prove anything anymore. I know God is in me, guiding me. I have guides that are there. The, the life is very precious. Yes, life, and it's very, very tough as well. I have very rocky days where I'm really tested, and I shout out and I say, how much more do you want to put me through? Okay, I just say to God, yeah, how much more? And and it's not that I have an easy ride, far from it, because I get very challenged with, uh, with life and with uh, people in my life, and I bless them. 
And it is like, um, I suppose I have allowed my gifts uh, to come through now. And I'm not ashamed of them. I used to hide my gifts. They were hidden in the healing room. They would be hidden except when I'd be running classes and I'd get all this information for somebody that would be sitting in my in my audience. And where I would be kind of tipping them on the shoulder, come to me afterwards, you know, we'd have a little chat. Whereas now it's like, I suppose, where after has made, forced me, for want of a better word, come out of the darkness and into the light of my own soul self. And it has taken many years but I'm 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 being told I'm a very humble servant and my purpose is a God purpose. Now, I have no idea where it's going, Jeff, but it's like in the beginning when I left work, I had to trust. Now I have to trust this process as well. It's another stepping stone to and my soul path. And I'm very grateful for it as well. Do you think it's important for someone to share their NDE early and not wait? Well, I suppose... Mine happened so long ago, um, and it's only now I'm talking about it. You know, over 30 years, I wasn't ready, Jeff, and I felt it was something very sacred and very private for me. And it was an experience that I was I was brought on by this God presence, and I felt it was too precious to share, but. As I said, I, while I wrote it, while I wrote it down vividly, what I vividly remembered, I, I was afraid to say it for fear of being ridiculed. I was afraid to open up and say, oh, yeah, sure, I had one of those. You know, I remember this and this. But now it's, I think it's all about divine time. Mm. And, and I think this divine time has finally come upon me now to share it without feeling ashamed. So you don't think that now after you have shared, you should have shared a lot earlier? No, it actually feels right. It actually feels right. And I'm a great one in believing in all things happen in divine time. And uh, it is like it's when I hand it over to the, the greater power, because I realized a long time ago, Jeff, I don't have power or control over nothing. I think I have. I, I thought I had power over everything. I thought I could control everything. Even to putting the sheets on the bed the way they're supposed to go, it doesn't make a bit of difference as long as they're put on the bed or not. You know, I, I had that sense. I used to control everything. And then having the, I suppose, the analytical mind, first of all, prevailing and dominating, it was like I felt, and I had to forward plan. I had to do everything in advance, especially because I worked in a multinational corporate world. And 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 um, I had a huge role and responsibility. So planning was of the utmost. Now here I am all these years later, and I'm being told time and time again, surrender, trust in the divine, and everything happens. So I'm learning. I'm still learning, Jeff. I mean, I don't know will I ever uh, get it totally right. But I'm learning to trust more. And I know when things don't happen, sometimes I pray for I mean, people think, oh, God, you must be awful religious. I'm not religious. I have a huge faith. And I, I'm, I, I'd like to think I'm evolving more spiritually every day. But when I pray for things to, you know, to happen or for things that I would, would obviously really, really need and they don't happen, 
I realize when they don't happen, there is a greater plan. There is a bigger plan unfolding. And it's like uh, if somebody, I could be praying for a little Ford Fiesta, a little car. Now, I do need a car. My other car has gone to car heaven. A little Ford Fiesta. But if I'm praying for a Ford Fiesta and, and, you know, so maybe God has a bigger plan. Maybe he wants me to have a BMW. So I'm limiting what God wants to deliver because I'm just asking for a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> no disrespect to Ford Fiestas. <laughs> Marielle, I've got to switch gears on you because I'm running out of time. So oh. again, I want to let people know your book is called Where After? Where Do Our Loved Ones Go After They Die? Where can you find your book? My book can be got on uh, John Hunt Publishing's sixth book, all the Amazon sites globally. And uh, my website is mariellefordclark.com and all the um, information is there as well. Right. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how can they find you? Absolutely. And um, I'm humbled, as I said, I feel I am a divine servant of God and I have a God purpose now and it's all happening through my book we're after. And my website, my mariellefortlark.com will lead you onto the other links and my email addresses and my Twitter and all of that. And I'm always very happy to answer questions for anybody that might feel they have a question that wants answering. And I will do my best to honor it. So you've got books, you've got classes. Do you have anything else going on that you want us to know about? <laughs> well, I've lately been uh, become an ordained interfaith minister. Hmm. So, um, you know, it's 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 a great blessing uh, for doing weddings and funerals. And, uh, you know, people are looking more towards a more holistic way of, of laying their loved ones to rest. So, um that's that's just another string to my bow at this stage, but um, I haven't had much time. I have done a few services, doing a lot of healing services, ceremonies as well. It's amazing uh, the amount of healing that can come from a simple ceremony, especially now, Jeff, because, you know, so many during the last 18 months have lost loved ones and there wasn't a time to say goodbye. So... We, we, I've been guided to do little ceremonies to bring families together and, and say what they needed to say, what they didn't get the opportunity to say, and, and do it in a sacred space so that their loved ones can receive it. And it's very precious and very sacred. But anybody can do that. It doesn't have to be me. Anybody can light a, a beautiful candle in their own home, set up a sacred space, invite their family and friends. They can read lovely little prayers. They can do a little eulogy and say all the things that they wanted to say to their loved ones. Because bear in mind, this is important for people to understand what you have in your heart your loved one hears it in the spirit world completely. All right. Well, before we finish up, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everyone? Oh, um, okay. I, I've, I've talked a lot about love being, being the energy. And I suppose, I, I dare I mention Einstein, because I studied him a lot. But Einstein said, instead of E, E equals MC squared, and if we use the power of love multiplied by the speed of light squared, we would end up with the most powerful energy on the planet, which is love. It is limitless. 
and it, it is about love. And to me, love is what we are going to be evaluated on when we cross over. And I wish everybody love and peace in their hearts, in their minds, and in their souls. Thank you for that message, Marielle. And thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. It's been an absolute honor and privilege. Bless you and all that are listening. God bless. Thank you and God bless you and have a great day over there. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.